all good stories begin with a protagonist, uh, a main character, a hero, an anchor point for the entire story. When a, a reader, when readers begin a new story, one author writes, they are exploring a new world of characters and settings and rules. And so the sooner that a, a reader is able uh, or is, you know, recognizes and knows something about the main character and the setting, the easier the reader is able to construct and to connect with the world and the story they're entering into. Now listen to how the story of Scripture begins. Just listen. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. The the story of Scripture is, is truth as revealed and inspired by God Himself, and it begins with the main character also serving as the setting for the story. Because as we take our first steps into the, into the world of this story of biblical truth, there's nowhere to step. There's no world. As children's author Sally Lloyd-Jones writes, in the beginning there, there's nothing to hear, there's nothing to feel, nothing to see, only emptiness and, and darkness and, and nothing but nothing. But there was God. An all creative, all sovereign, all wonderful and powerful and sufficient God, the main character of reality and revelation, the, the hero, the anchor point of the entire biblical story and the anchor point of life itself. In the beginning, God. In the book of, of Genesis, the, the book of beginnings, the book of origins, we are introduced to God who has always existed, who brings into existence life and matter and meaning and characters and settings and rhythm and reason and rule. Theologian Kenneth Matthews isn't overstating it when he says, the book of Genesis stands second to none in its importance for if we were to possess a Bible without this book, we would have a house of cards without foundation or mortar. And the book of Genesis gives us at the start what we come to know and to see confirmed throughout all of scripture. We see God, human nature, the world, and salvation history found in microcosm right here in this Book. And so today, beginning today, in a series we've entitled Origins, we hope to begin an 11-week, 11-chapter journey. The truths of Genesis were revealed to and written down by the prophet Moses, who details for us God's creation of the world the fall of mankind, the promise of redemption, and the tailspin of a broken world in desperate need of redemption. If we wanna know who God is and what he is like, there's no better place to start. 
if we wanna know why our lives have intrinsic value and meaning, if we want to know why the world is the way that it is, why bad things happen, and conversely, if we want to know why our broken reality will not be forever, hallelujah, there's no better place to start, right at the beginning. So I'd invite you to empty your preconceived notions and let's together, as I read, let's listen to the words of Genesis chapter one as if we were the first recipients of this written account. As best as we can, let's be ancient Israelites who are surrounded in every direction by pagan nations who are worshiping the sun and stars and animals as if creation were the creator. So listen and follow along as our creator sets the record straight. If you haven't already turned there in your Bible, just go to the first page. Doesn't get any easier than that, right? Follow along as I read. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear and it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful 
and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth and there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you say a word of prayer with me? O oh Lord, our God, our creator, be glorified as we are edified by your word, by this account of your creation of all things. In Jesus' name, amen. According to many modern minds, what we've just read is preposterous. Divine creation is too far-reaching, they say. We know that the universe resulted from the sudden appearance of a single particle within a vacuum, and within that particle were space, time, and matter all crushed together. And then that particle experienced an explosion of sorts that produced the hydrogen and helium gases necessary for the formation of stars in which heavier elements were cooked and fused before they collapsed or exploded into a dust called nebula and collapsed into themselves, fragmenting into smaller rotating clouds that ultimately formed the Earth. When the surface gases of the earth were cooled by external energy forces, it permitted the formation of various organic compounds. And after those organic compounds settled in a warm, shallow body of water, they experienced the necessary chemical concentrations for producing the first protocells, which survived long enough to develop into internal complexity and replicating power. Creation is preposterous. <laughs> I 
I don't think you and I are too different from the Israelites when it comes to be surrounding, uh, we're surrounded by people desperately trying to explain away a creator. For the remainder of our time, we'll consider just three basic truths that are made known to us in this account in Genesis 1. Number one, what God did. Number two, how God did it. And number three, what it reveals about God. Number one, what God did. In verses one and two, we're given a summary of it. He created the heavens and the earth. That statement summarizes the entirety of the chapter. And before the earth was given shape, there was darkness and there was a sort of of, of chaos that was unfit for mortal life. But the spirit of God was there. And remarkably, God was about to establish order that is fit for mortal life. In the beginning, God created. Now for the ancient Israelites, This phrase carried much more meaning than it might for us. For them, the word beginning carries with it an end. The God who presides over the beginning also presides over the end. This is parsed out in Isaiah 49 or 46 verses 9 through 11 when God himself says this, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. My counsel will stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. 19th century theologian Abraham Kuyper once commented, there is not one square inch in the whole domain of our existence over which God who is sovereign over all does not cry, mine. It's all his. While I sat outside this week on Thursday behind the schoolhouse right here under the covered little area, There was a lone dandelion in the grass and Genesis 1 was on my mind and it was like, oh, you're a dandelion. It's yours, Lord. And then while I'm sitting there, this like bat-sized butterfly flies up and scares me to death. And then I was able to go, that butterfly was is yours lord and 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 so are my days you know i belong we belong to the lord but our days belong to him as king david declares in psalm 139 in god's book were written every day of my life before i was born in the beginning out of nothing from god through god and for god he brought forth everything everything that's what God did point one now let's consider point two how did God do it he spoke what he declared to happen happened In verses three through five, on day one of creation, God spoke. Look, he only had to say, let there be light. And light obediently came into existence. There's gonna be an emphasis on that word, 
not coming into existence, but obediently. And day and night. And there was evening, and there was morning that very first day of creation. Now, whoo, let's address the elephant in the room. There are God-fearing, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing Christians who debate how long were the days of creation? Were they literal 24-hour periods? Or as we read in 2 Peter 3, 8, a day is like a thousand years in, in, to the Lord, so it was, a, was it much longer? I'm gonna settle this issue once, it, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not, I'm absolutely not. I'm not, but I will tell you, I'm inclined, I'm, in, I'm very much inclined to believe the days of creation were literal 24-hour periods. That is what the Hebrew word for day most often signifies in scripture. And then at the end of verse five, we are expressly told something that we are expressly told multiple times. There was evening and there was morning. Now some Christians, a couple whom I dearly love and read their stuff, some Christians think that that repeated phrase, and there was evening, and there was morning, it kind of serves like a chorus to a song or to a poem, right? But according to a more plain reading of this passage, I'm inclined to believe, humbly, but I'm inclined to believe, six literal 24-hour days are, are, in, are in our view right here, consisting of an evening and a morning, okay? Take me out to coffee, you buy, and tell me all of your ideas, right? In verses six through eight, on day two, God spoke again. And this time, the sky obediently came into existence, forming a canopy between the moisture of above and the, the waters below. And God called the sky heaven. Heaven. Not this popcorn-looking stuff, but what's beyond that? In verses 9 through 13, on day 3, God spoke again, and dry earth and land obediently appeared to flourish and growth with plants and trees bearing fruits and seeds according to their species. That almost rhymed. To ensure their continuation, right? In verses 14 through 19, on day 4, God spoke again, and luminaries obediently appeared throughout the heavens. The sun, moon, and stars were intended to mark days and nights and years and seasons and to give us a reason to come up with a, a section in the newspaper called horoscope. That was in God's original? No, it wasn't. Gosh, sorry. I'm in maybe a little bit of a mood today. I don't know. I don't know. In verses 20 through 23 on day five, God spoke again and obediently all the living creatures of the sea and sky came into existence and God blessed them. This command is a blessing. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the sea and sky according to your species, he said. In verses 24 through 31, on day six, God spoke again and the animals of the earth obediently came into existence, which unfortunately includes bugs. I wish that part would have been left out, but they're here for a reason, and so that's fine. And then finally, on day six, in order to enjoy and to rule the wonderful habitable earth that God had made, he spoke into existence the crowning jewel of all creation, us, mankind. 
in his own image, after his own likeness. He created male and female with souls and with consciences and moral sensitivities and the capacity to represent and reflect him as steward rulers over all other creatures. Stewardship is just screaming in our very creation story. How are we stewarding what we have been given authority over? And he blessed the male and female. What a wonderful command that my wife and I have taken quite literally, be fruitful and multiply, right? (laughs) Sorry, I'm in a mood. I'll apologize more later. (laughs) Be fruitful and multiply to populate the earth with more image bearers. After six days, of incomprehensible creativity and care. After, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, Labor Day weekend, so after six days of labor, there, there's my way of like, you know, uh, being smart and getting this into our modern day, whatever. Uh, after six days of labor, God looked at everything that he had made, verse 31, look, and behold, it, it, it was more than good. Look, the whole, the whole completed, the, the picture is, it was very good. Very good. That is how God did it. Point two. But what does it all reveal to us about Him? Point three. Years ago, while on a mission trip in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, I was sitting outside with my buddy Matt and our hearts were melting in distress over the human trafficking victims we were there to help. Several of you have been to this very same place. But as Matt, my buddy and I sat there in silent grief, the golden glowing sun began to course over the horizon, painting the deep blue heavens with radiant reds and oranges and yellows. And that stunning display of God's handiwork served as a mysterious, calming reminder to us about God himself. While we sat there hypnotized by the heavens and the colors, my buddy Matt, who is Irish, said this to me, mate, oh, for an ounce of that creativity. And surely, our God who is behind that, surely he knows what he's doing. Indeed, he does. Even in the moments of life, whether we are in Cambodia or Worcester, in those moments of life when we ache with distress and confusion and sadness and questions, the book of Genesis is going to reveal why all of this, why bad chaos and disorder has has come. It's going to, but But what this passage reveals to us remains true. As we sit on our front porch, just agonizing in our heart over things that are transpiring, looking out to the absolute 
brilliant canvas of creation and being told in our still and quiet hearts, God is as sovereign as he is creative. He will finish what he started and he will wipe away every tear from our faces. See, Genesis 1 also reveals to us that God is good. Six times in this passage, we are told that God looked at what he had made and he said to himself, oh, that is good. And then once in verse 31, when everything was completed, when the plants were growing and the whales were swimming and the birds were chirping and male and female were reflecting his glorious image on the earth, he said, oh man, that is very good. It's very good. The exceeding goodness of what has been made reflects the unending goodness of he who made it. It's a comforting thing to know that God is in total sovereign control and it's a wonderful thing to know that he is also good. Jeremiah 29, 11 captures both of these characteristics of God. Listen to what he says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. It might beg the question, what makes God so sure that his plans will come to fruition? Well, he is authoritative. Genesis 1 reveals this to us. I mean, <laughs> please see with me that every time God spoke in this chapter, nothing obediently became something. When God spoke, the seas and the land appeared when and where he appointed, and it was so. When God spoke, the sun and moon appeared when and where he appointed, and it was so. Later in scripture, when God incarnate, Jesus Christ, speaks to the storm, what does it do? It obeys, it ceases. When he speaks to the water, what does it become? Wine. When he speaks to Andrew and Peter, he says, come and follow me. What do they do? They do. They drop their fishing nets. They leave their father's fishing boat and their legacy, and it was so. And then later, Peter tells 3,000 Jews in Acts 2, look, <laughs> everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself will come. And I think Peter was speaking from firsthand experience. He calls you. You're coming, game over, because he is authoritative. Is God calling you to himself? Is he using this very account to bear in your soul, mm, the Lord is calling me to turn from my sin and to follow him, to trust Christ, to worship God as God 
Is God calling you to obey his word? <laughs> yes. If the sun, moon, and stars obediently respond to his voice, how much more should we? The ancient Israelites understood this creation account as an introduction to God's law. Because God had authority to create man, he has the authority to instruct man and to tell man what to do. We are his. He created us to bear his image on the earth, to reflect his likeness on the earth. Oh, and, 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 and verse 26, God says, look at this peculiar wording. Let us, <laughs> let us make men in our image. Equally peculiar, if we were each able to read Hebrew, we'd see that the Hebrew word used for God throughout the entirety of this text is plural, although its action verbs are singular. In other words, the multiple persons of God speak and act as one. The word triune or trinity is never used in scripture, but oh, it's already starting. It's here. And make no bones about it. Genesis 1 and the rest of scripture, it's all about God. An eternal all creative, all sovereign, all wonderful, all powerful, all sufficient, triune God. Beginning in Genesis and finishing in Revelation, it is the story that is all about what God has done, what he is doing, and what he is about to do. And if we might see a bit of foreshadowing here, we often wonder, what's the end? What is the end of days going to be like? What is new creation going to be like? We're given a lot of really, really, really solid hints in Genesis chapter one, when before sin entered the world, look what God had made, and behold, it was very good. Although I think the, the restored, or Eden regained, or the new creation, new Jerusalem will be, I, somehow with our redemptive story and memory gonna be infinitely more glorious. But if you kinda of wanna know, have a little, little idea of where things are headed and what God is going to remake, man, this is actually a really, really fun place to start reading. We're gonna continue for the next 10 weeks but what we need to establish here from the outset, all good stories begin with the protagonist and all those authors got their literary structure from, from, from right here. Look at this, our story, the true story of scripture begins and ends with God. And he begins as the setting for the story and then he creates a world out of nothing. He speaks to life, existence, and everything. And here we are. After everything has obediently come into reality and existence, what are we to do as people sitting here together in this room? Worship him 
with repentance, with faith, with this. You are the good and sovereign creator God with all authority and power in heaven and on earth. And I owe my worship and obedience to you. I have been made in your image after your likeness. Have you believed this? Respond by putting your trust and your faith in God and turning from your sin. Are you feeling, are you seeing a pattern here in the creation account that all things came into existence obediently? Oh, Lord, show us. In what ways are we not obeying you? And submit us to your wonderful and good authority today. Amen. Let's pray and we'll continue to sing. In the beginning, God, you were there. And oh, for an ounce of the creativity that we see pour forth from your word of power. And with that much creativity and goodness, surely, surely, you know what you're doing. You are in control. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our allegiance. You are worthy of our obedience because Lord, to you and through you and for you are all things, including us. Humble us and help us to recognize how wondrous of a thing it is that you saw fit. You were needless. You had no need. And yet, out of your desire, you created us. Oh Lord, may we be a pleasing aroma to you and a sweet sound to you and may our lives reflect you as you intended as we begin this story of origins. Teach us and conform us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.